Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Lauten Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 161. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 161 you're listening to. My guest today is Matt Donner, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Academic Officer currently at Pyramind in San Francisco, but he's also a musician, composer, engineer, man of many talents, also a dad, and uh, an old friend of mine. So excited to have Matt on. Matt and I go back about 20 years, we discovered in our interview, and I won't repeat the story of how we met because you're about to hear that. But uh, Matt is somebody that um, I've been friends with for, like I say, 20 years, and he's somebody that I definitely uh, have great respect for, and I'm really happy to have him on. So Matt Donner coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Let's talk about furniture. So as longtime listeners know, uh, and as you know, if you listen to the last episode, uh, Session 160 with uh, Joe Costable, I got a hold of some furniture from Zaor. And I got a hold of a desk, a pair of uh, speaker stands, and a couple racks. One of the racks is on back order. but So I got um, an Onda Mac 12, that's O-N-D-A. And of course, I'll include links to all this so you can check it out. But I got a really great desk. It's got two bays. It's got six rack spaces a piece. And that ultimately replaced that old and tired Ikea desk. No offense, Ikea, but uh, the Ikea desk is no longer in here. I also got a couple of their adjustable uh, speaker stands. I got a 10 rack unit uh, rack with a drawer at the bottom. Super handy. And then a five rack space uh, rack to put in my uh, my Yamaha amp, which uh, that powers my t- uh, my uh, NS10s. So yeah, got a hold of all that, and uh, I am super psyched about it. I can't tell you how excited I am. I've assembled it all, and I've given the room here, uh, the Working Class Audio Studio here, a complete makeover. And I'll post pictures, and uh, there's going to be a video. I've already uh, filmed a major portion of the video. I need to finish up the wrap-up. So I'll let you know when that comes out. I also carpeted the whole room. There was uh, ceramic tiles in here, kind of almost, uh, I don't know, pinkish, orangish tiles, totally ugly tiles. Anyhow, I got some carpet squares, and I was originally going to do the uh, floor carpet squares, F-L-O-R, but those are too damn expensive. I was It was going to cost me 600 bucks just to get a decent size area covered. So I opted for going to this local hardware chain um, and picking up three boxes, two boxes actually covered the the whole room except for a few spots. So I picked up a third box just to get those extra spots and to have an extra set of uh, squares in case the dog throws up on one of them and they have a little glue on them, but they're not permanent. So you can, you know, if the dog throws up and you want to clean that carpet, you can pull that that section out and plop in a new one and you're good to go. So hopefully the dog won't throw up, but I've got spares in case he does. Or in case you spill something, I'm trying to be really careful with food and drinks in here. So hopefully that won't be an issue, but uh, it absolutely looks super duper changed. My wife, you know, walked in and just said, wow, this looks so much better. And, uh... I can't agree with her more. It's it's it, the change is is monumental, really. Uh, the furniture just makes it super pro. Zayor does a really good job. the The build quality of this stuff. I got to be honest with you. I was a little bit amazed at how good the build quality was. I've had some studio furniture in the past from some of the other manufacturers, and you know, it's a step up from IKEA. But Zayor is like way beyond that. It's it's really good. So I'll include a link. To some pictures. I'll take some pictures and uh, I'll include a link to the uh, pieces that I chose and you could check those out and then, you know, maybe pay a visit to Zay or check, check them out. I got to give them props. Really, really uh, great stuff that they make. So that's that. Uh, I'll let you know all about the video. I know I keep bringing it up each and every episode here until it happens, but uh, just want to remind you that NAM is coming up and I will be there. We're talking about uh, January 25th through the 28th. 
And that is, of course, in Anaheim, California, uh, right across the street from Disneyland, believe it or not. So uh, I joked and told my wife and kids that I wasn't really going to the NAMM show, that I was secretly going down to meet a group of friends to go to Disneyland. They didn't find that funny. Um, not They don't want me to go without them. So no, I am going to NAMM. And I am going to be there roaming around at different booths. But in particular, I'm going to be at the McDSP booth on Friday the 26th from 3 to 4 p.m., talking with my old high school friend, Colin McDowell of McDSP fame. They'll be celebrating 20 years. And in fact, I think it was 20 years ago, 1998. Yeah, I went to, I think I went to an AES show and I ran into Colin and, uh, you know, we went to high school in New Mexico together. So here I was in California and I was like, Colin, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, well, my wife and I created this company, McDSP. We make these plugins. And, And I said, well, well, that's pretty fascinating. I have a Pro Tools rig. And he said, oh, well, let me show you what we have. And so it, it was pretty amazing. You know, you come from a small town and then you meet up later in life with uh, one of your high school friends who's in the same industry doing really amazing things. And uh, McDSP is definitely doing that. So, yep, 3 to 4 p.m. January 26, I will be chit-chatting at the McDSP booth with Colin McDowell. Please stop by, say hello. And uh, that is on Friday the 26th. Have I said that enough? Everybody got that? Friday the 26th? Yeah, come on down. I want to remind you to stop on by the gearsluts.com site. We sponsor a subforum there called Audio Life. And if you like a lot of these topics that we talk about here on Working Class Audio, I'm sure you're going to like that forum because it's a lot of life hacks and, you know, life skills and uh, survival and all topics that are generally not super gear centric. So, uh, check it out. It's Audio Life. It's at gearsluts.com. And also want to remind you to stop on by uh, uaudio.com where you can uh, check out, of course, the huge number of plugins that my friends over there have made. And of course, there's some fantastic videos from our friend Jakir King, Advanced Pal. And, uh, you know, while you're at it, if you're going to be at NAM, make sure you stop on by the Universal Audio booth and see what they have to show. They always have a great showing there. So I'm sure this year is going to be no different. So that's uaudio.com and uh, hope to see you at the Universal Audio booth at NAM. So I wanted to make sure and bring this up with you all uh, here in the monologue. I do mention it in the interview with Matt Donner, so you'll hear it again. But um, I recently got turned on to a book by Matthew Walker, who is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at UC Berkeley. And he's also the founder and the director of uh, Center for Human Sleep Science. So this guy knows a lot about sleep. And anyways, I caught a, about 10 minutes of an interview one evening on NPR. Uh, I think it was uh, City Arts and Lectures I was listening to. And this guy's interview really struck me. So I immediately went home, downloaded the book on Audible. So I'm more of a book listening type person. And uh, I'll include a link to not only the Audible link, but also for those of you that like to just pick up a book and read it, I'll include a link for that. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. It's pretty deep and you might drift in and out into sleep while reading this book about sleep, but it's super fascinating. And I think it will kind of change your perspective on sleep because I know in our industry, we tend to forego sleep. In fact, I mean, pretty much in many industries. I mean, imagine if you're a doctor or uh, or a nurse or a firefighter um, or a cop. I mean, there's, there's a lot of industries where uh, sleep just is not uh, utilized as much as it should be based on the information that I'm hearing in this, in this book. So I'm going to turn you on to it. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And I think it's, I think it's super important. So my advice after hearing the bit that I've heard up to this point, get your sleep, my friends, get your sleep. It's super important. And, uh, you know, as audio professionals, we need to be on the ball. We can't be, uh, falling asleep at the wheel as they say. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I'll of course include the link as I say. So, um, that's it. Yeah. Matthew Walker. All right. So that's enough talking. So let's move on and let's, uh, have a chat with my old friend, Matt Donner here on the working class audio podcast. Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. You're a longtime friend of mine, and um, you're a person that I have a great respect for and really uh, appreciate your intellect and appreciate your your viewpoints on things. I don't always agree with you. What? And, <laughs> what? But what I do like about our relationship is we seem to be able to 
just be ourselves with one another and, and be straight with one another. And I have, I've always loved that about you. Would say the exact same thing to you, Matt, except I perhaps I've agreed with you more often than you've agreed with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I was doing the math. I came to the conclusion that, that you and I started working together at Cutting Edge uh, in 1998, 20 years ago. Oh, my God. So that might hurt a second. <laughs> that might Ouch. hurt for a bit. Let's talk about that. Let me tell it from my perspective. I was working at Cutting Edge Audio and great guys, still friends to this day. But at the time, they had promised me a job where I would be installing Pro Tools systems and maintaining them. Mm -hmm. I, at the time, I was had been working in their warehouse, just killing time for a job and just trying to pay the bills. So when this opportunity came up, I thought, oh man, this is great. This is a good move up. This is going to be awesome. So I was planning on that. And then a couple weeks passed by and I said, so when do I start the, uh, the new position? And that's when Sig Napstead said, well, let's talk about that. Oh no. Uh, we actually hired somebody else for that position. Oh, no. And uh, lo and behold, here you come in the oh, door geez. to take that position. <laughs> uh, I, and I think you had just had a bicycle accident. I, I did. I showed up in a, a kind of a mess. I had a, a pocket full of painkillers and a cast on my arm. And they won. You know, that's funny, man. I actually had no idea that that, that job was sort of in front of you. I, I, I had no idea. I've been doing music for most of my life in one form or another, but uh, only seriously um, after I got out of uh, the four-year university experience at uh, Penn State and ended up getting a master's in New York, uh, worked at a bunch of studios, we'll talk about that, and jumped in a van with a bunch of crazy rock stars, or we all thought we were rock stars at least. And we <laughs> toured our way across the country and we crash landed in San Francisco, and that's another hilarious story um, now. It wasn't hilarious then, but <laughs> I'll tell that one at some other point. And then I, I was working at Guitar Center for, for a number of years. And uh, that was 95, 96, um, up until I went to Cutting Edge. And Tom uh, from Cutting Edge had met me somewhere or another and invited me to talk about leaving Guitar Center and joining the team. I, I had no idea what Cutting Edge was, who they were. I didn't know anything about it. But I had had enough of Guitar Center at that point, and so a move made sense. And yeah, about a week or so before the job started, I was uh, putzing around and... Um, Chrissy Field on bikes with some friends and I was showing off and riding without hands and the dog ran in front of the bike. I reached out, grabbed the brakes, <laughs> did a tail over flip and landed right on my hand and pop. So yeah, I showed up to work roughly a week later, kind of half a mess. So I, I can't imagine you had terribly high thoughts of me. I, let's see, you, I know. You, you stole my job and gave it to this bum? Like what? This I guy, I know. You walked in head. and I was like, this guy got my job? <laughs> this guy? What? <laughs> but yeah, that was interesting. I don't know. You you stuck around for what, another six months? I think I pretty much hit a wall there, bought myself a Pro Tools rig and left. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because I remember, I don't know if my wife will remember this, because at the time uh, my wife said I had been working at studios on the side, moonlighting and she said, you are miserable yeah. at that job. And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, you should think about maybe quitting and trying the studio thing and giving that a shot. Yeah. And, you know, if you fall on your face, you know, I I'm working, we could figure it out. And uh, I quit. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm friends to to this day with with everybody there, and and no no bridges burned, of course. Right. But I was so happy to get out of yeah. there. Well, I understand. I mean, it's a it's a retail environment. Uh, at the end of the day, for those who don't know, Cutting Edge is a high end boutique audio retailer, and um, for me, it was great because I got out of the Guitar Center paradigm and, and environment, and I had actually done very well there, but. It just, it wasn't a long-term road for me and Cutting Edge basically saved me from them. And, and probably like you, I, I learned a ton from those guys. They're, they're just unbelievably sharp, really know their gear, really know their business. And the two things I took more than anything else from them was number one, and this is only if you're in retail, but you know, selling for them wasn't a high pressure, you know, get the money and run kind of environment. It was all about solving problems. Client came yeah. in. Client came in with a need, and you know you, your job was to understand the need from their perspective and try and find product or workflows or technology that would solve a problem. That was piece number one, um, and then piece number two is always treat your customers with respect. 
even if you wildly disagree with them. And and the two really most powerful things that I carry with me today in, in all dealings. And it's interesting you say that because, for example, Jeff Briss, one of the main sales guys there, Jeff Briss is one of the most well-liked, well-respected guys in that world because he fiercely, fiercely protected his customers. And me being the warehouse guy, I was on the ground level to firsthand feel the wrath of Jeff if if I screwed something (laughs) up for one of his customers. Oh, yeah. And I realized, oh, this this guy's like not just a hustler selling stuff. Yeah. He cares about this and he wants to take care of these people. And I think that changed my perspective on my job then. Yeah. And it also changed my perspective on uh, on Jeff when I first started really working for him. Yeah. And and what's worse about that is uh, you know, Jeff's a fairly sizable man, but everything yes. he, everything he does is in this very slow and low voice. And it's 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 nice when you're on the phone with him. You can say, "Well, I don't think that particular product is going to be good for you." And it's just, oh, I just love listening to his voice. But if you're in trouble, and that is the you, best Jeff Briss impression I've ever heard. <laughs> if he comes to you and you're in trouble, it's like, Matt, there's a problem. And you just that same softness, the juxtaposition of his soft tone and his physical imposition, it, it can really put you on your yeah. heels. Uh, so my, I've never heard him raise his voice. No, not once. Not once. Uh, Brian, on the other hand, Sig, on the other hand, <laughs> Tom, certainly on the other hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a dynamic those guys have. You know, like you, I, I loved and respected um, that environment uh, to a point. For, for me, the reason it ended had little to do with them and more to do with, with me and what I wanted. In your case, you were, you were just unhappy in the job and found yourself happier actually being in the studio doing the work. Not dissimilarly, I found myself, I, I was happy in the job, but I wanted to be on the on the ownership team i wanted to be in the ownership team i wanted to be in charge with my hands on the wheel driving and everyone at that point in the bay area who had met me knew me as you know a pro tools audio tech support fixer guy i was the guy that kqed would call when the pro tools rig busted and i'd have to drive over and fix the pro tools rig i was the guy that skywalker called when quick keys was crashing the record function uh, just because i was taking over that support work from sig who was driving more heavily into video it dawned on me that nobody knew that I actually know how to play instruments and write music and produce stuff and make stuff. So I was seeking an opportunity to either get deeper in the business and be an owner or get back into the into the chair, just, just like you. And um, when I approached the ownership about joining the team, it was a hard no. And when that door closed, uh, this other one opened. And it was, I remember the day, it was sitting at the desk and uh, my current partner, Greg Gordon, uh, called me from Pyramind and said, uh, hey, you know, I, I've been teaching this class at San Francisco State, and, 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 and I love it. I, I'm thinking about opening a school. And, and the world kind of went gray. And I saw this very singular pinpoint of life. And I was like, I'm going right there. Within days, I put in my notice. I stayed the rest of the year to help close out the Christmas season. And then that was December 1999. So you can imagine January 1st, 2000, at the very beginning of a new millennia, I found myself, well, actually, I found myself driving back from uh, Lake Tahoe because I spent the New Year's in Lake Tahoe. And I spent January 2nd with a sledgehammer in my hand, smashing walls at the studio, opening up a second room so that we were going to become a two-room studio with a two-booth studio. And um, within days of that, we got our very first technical contract for this massive voiceover job. Uh, the company's called Tell Me Networks. They've since been purchased by um, Microsoft, maybe, Cisco, oh, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, we did uh, 30,000 voice prompts in 45 days, all descriptive words for restaurants in the entire state of New Jersey. So they were cataloging basically the yellow pages of restaurants in New Jersey as a test so that if you dialed up their system, it would assemble the words and it would assemble the numbers for the address and it would verbally give you the address repeated back in voice prompts. It was before the early days of either voice synthesis or intelligent sample-based playback. And our job was to create each of the individual assets using various voice types. And it was a monster of a job. But that was the first one. That was the beginning of the the new paradigm at the beginning of the millennium. So you know, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in my mid-20s and uh, with nothing but hope and promise for the future, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, in the music and sound and audio business, uh, hope springeth eternal. 
But at the same time, uh, a healthy amount of practical cynicism can be quite useful. The time was that called Pyramide? Yeah, yeah. The company's always been called Pyramide. And for those listening who don't know, it's Pyramide. Think Pyramid with a mind. P-Y-R-A-M-I-N-D. People call it Pyramid all the time. I hear Paramind, uh, Pyramind. I I hear them all. But it's Pyramind. It's been that way 10 plus years before I even joined the company. My partner, Greg Gordon, is the CEO founder. Uh, And the business itself is over, I think we're in our 30th year, 31st year, something like that. I remember visiting you at that early location, which was right around the corner from the Hall of Justice mm-hmm. on a street perpendicular to the Hall of Justice on... Um, Gilbert. Is it Bryant? Yeah. Yeah. Gil- Gilbert and Bryant? Brannon and Bryant. Between Brannon and Bryant on Gilbert. Okay. I remember coming in and I know this is an odd memory, but I remember you guys were burning incense in the bathroom <laughs> and I was like... Yeah. Wow, that's that's kind of smart, huh? Burning incense. And then I took a look around and you told me what you guys were up to. And I was like, wow, these guys kind of had their shit together. <laughs> well, I'm glad you thought that. So that means our, our bullshit was probably pretty good at the time. It's hard to describe the relationship, but there were several several people in and out of the studio, friends and friends of friends. And some of them were, you know, we're in the Bay Area and and there's a there's a pretty strong leftover hippie contingent here. Uh, and what hippie means now versus what it meant in the 60s is much different. But people are still wearing the clothes and still burning sage and burning incense and, you know, doing the whole thing. And um, some of the accoutrement around either um, me or my partner or his girlfriend or one of her friends. Who knows? Greg's a little bit of a free spirit kind of fellow, right? Well, he did several records with Jerry Garcia and Merle Saunders. So I think that had a pretty um, significant impact on him personally, musically, spiritually. But yeah, he's always been a fairly spiritual guy. That's uh, one of the reasons our partnership, I think, works and has worked so well is that we're almost dead opposites. I think much more practically about things. He dreams big. I dream about how it works. I'm a Republican. He's a Democrat. Pick your subject. We probably fall on opposite sides of the spectrum. But that that yin-yang balance actually works very well for us. So you were essentially running the, a, a studio with a school embedded in it. You were doing music projects. It, it wasn't just all corporate work, right? On the production side of things, we were doing, well, this was two, 2000, 2001, 2002. So <laughs> the term multimedia was the term. No, nobody says that anymore, but uh, that, that was the thing. People <laughs> were making that. DVD-ROMs and you know that was high technology back then. Uh, But yeah, we were doing music composition, music production, band recording, album mixing, vocal recording, VO work, sound design, corporate sound design, branding, tagging, corporate identity stuff, just getting into UX, UI sounds. We had done a bunch of support music and sound for video game companies, uh, EA, Sega, Sony. But it was a little catch-as-can, you know, we kind of jack-hornered it, uh, 10 fingers and 10 pies in order to make it work. And we ran like that for a number of years. Um, And then the schools kind of started to take off and we had that space on Gilbert Street. We shared it with some video editors and it got to be really too small for our needs. And we were seeing this fairly significant uptick in, in traffic. So we relocated to our current location on Folsom Street and partnered with an existing studio there for a while. We outgrew that space. There were seven businesses in that space. Uh, Then it became six, and every time five, and then four, and every time somebody moved out, we would expand our operations and move into the space that had vacated. And we were at something of an impasse with the the studio partner we shared the building with at the time, but we needed more space, so we expanded down the street. And then it came to a point where it just made no sense for our partnership to continue, and our partnership abandoned, and then we absorbed all of that space as well. And now we exist on the two spots. We're, We're on 880 and 832 Folsom Street, right downtown Soma, San Francisco, about a block away from the convention. Center. The services that you provided as Pyramine, when I came to work there part-time as an instructor, mm-hmm. you were doing a pretty major video game production in terms of uh, sound, music, composition, and, and the like. You were running a school that covered a lot of different areas from audio production mm-hmm. and mixing and but also composition and there was, there was many different facets. I can't remember all the different facets and I'm sure you'll be able to say that. Tell me about that. When I came to see you there and cause you would call me and you said, Hey man, uh, I was running my studio uh, in San Francisco at the time. And you said, Hey man, I really need you to come and do me a favor and teach this class, something like that. And you were like, cause I really don't have the time to teach it. 
I'm, my plate's full and we need somebody like you to come and teach a couple mm. different ty- types of classes. And mm-hmm. so that's when I, I came on board for, I think, about five years. Um, and there was a lot going on there. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I guess it's it's a blessing because in this game, if you're not busy, you're kind of dead. And I'm going to knock on wood right now. <laughs> uh, we've been lucky enough to have uh, a number of different pivots in the business that have, have been well executed and well timed and well positioned. But yeah, they, yeah, we're that was a particularly busy time for us. We were probably either in the middle of Halo or had just finished Halo Anniversary. It was a ten year reissue of the original Halo game. At the time, our senior mm-hmm. producer Paul Lipson, who's now in LA, he was doing much of the composition work, but it was all hands on deck. Our sound design instructor was doing sound design on the project. Paul was working on the project and teaching classes. I was doing five one mixes and teaching classes. Uh, we had another teacher who was teaching the class you're referring to is Audio Two Hundred One. It was a band recording, and actually, I think you probably were doing the One Hundred One One Ten also. There was like a theory component, and then there was a practical component. Mm-hmm. And the, we had a guy we were working with who was driving a, a, a very long distance to teach the class. It no longer made sense for him. I, I couldn't step in, and thank God you were there. I don't know if you remember this side of things, but as an as a teacher. The one thing that you get to do that is um, the most powerful thing you can do is change lives. You can crawl into someone else's head and place an image. It's like Inception, right? You can place an image of their future in their heads with inspiration of this magical musical world we all live in. And I watched over and again as you did that. You performed this magic on all of these students, and many of them now have careers in audio because of you, perhaps because of us at Pyramind too. But but you know you were on the front lines of that particular discussion in audio. It was great to have you there. It was pretty. It was pretty powerful. We 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 missed you when it, when it ended. But you were running broken radio at the time, and and I guess that that probably no longer made sense. It's it's hard to run a business. It's hard to run a studio. Um, it's harder today if you're just doing audio because. As the musical movement over the last 15 years has gone, uh, not exclusively, but primarily from, you know, people and bands and, and moving air in a room and capturing with microphones to I am alone with my laptop and my keyboard in my bedroom trying to make something happen. Uh, that musical and technological paradigm shift has mm-hmm. made it tough for for many recording studios. And so we pivoted out of recording and almost exclusively into corporate and video game work. And that has proven to be fantastic. We're now doing a ton of work in uh, VR and virtual reality for games. Uh, we continue to do a lot of corporate work and continue to do a lot of game work. Um, and the school has, of course, changed and adopted to all technologies too. But but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's still plenty busy. Um, we've had one of our largest enrollments in 2017. Uh, 15, 16, and 17 were all have all been very large years in terms of students. Uh, so we run about 120 students a year, each of whom are doing a 12-month full-time program, 20-plus hours a week of class time, and then another 40 hours a week of lab and practicum time. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite intense for students going through the program. And our goal is to get them on the other side to the point where they are armed with enough knowledge, uh, technical, creative, business, and experiential that they can hit the world without really needing any support. And if they need it, we're here, but we want to... We want to turn people out into the world who are armed to the teeth, prepared for what the industry is actually going to throw at them, um, as opposed to some, you know, ivory tower theoretical perspective um, that when they show up on day one and they're like, wait a second, I have to do what? It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you have to edit all of that. <laughs> we want them to really <laughs> understand that the workload is big, can be hard, has uh, hard deadlines, uh, isn't always glamorous. You know, it's not always glamorous at all, Um, but you need to bear through those and to get to the really awesome stuff. It's not all, you know, sparkles and rainbows. And sometimes you just have to do pure hard work. And that's our goal. Matt Donner here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to pause for a sec. We're going to talk about our friends over at Audio-Technica. And I want to remind you that, of course, Audio-Technica naturally is going to be at the NAM show. They are going to be booth 15311. That's 15311. So stop on by. They're going to be, of course, showing off their beautiful mic, the AT5047. That's their new premier studio microphone. They're going to be showing off a lot of different things, but uh, that is one of the things. Also, if you have a chance and you find him, find Gary Boss. He is 
the man of all things Audio-Technica, and he can answer your questions. And he is just super knowledgeable about the entire product line and has a lot to do with the operations going on over there. And it's always a pleasure to speak with Gary. And I think if uh, you have any questions and you want to talk about any particular product, Gary will be there and you can chat with him. I'll certainly be there chatting with him. So I hope to see you there. That's uh, booth 15311 at the NAMM show, January 25th through the 28th. Yeah, we'll see you there. All right, let's get back to it. Matt Donner here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. You've always been a fascinating individual to me because musician, engineer, composer, businessman, entrepreneur, there's many different titles I could throw on you and say, yeah, yeah, Matt, Matt's done that or he, or he does that and does it well. It's, it's strange like the, and this, this is better than the, the incense in the bathroom <laughs> moment, but there's another distinct memory I have of you. There was an event at Cutting Edge. They were, they, they throw like the industry events and I was there with somebody, uh, another engineer, we were hanging out, we were talking. Business was really slow. I can't remember where I was at at, th- at that moment. And you said, hey man, how's it going? I said, ah, you know, it's really, really slow. And it's, you know, it's not really going that great. And you just said something to the effect of, you said, well, what are you doing to, you know, uh, not only promote yourself, but what are you doing to get business? And like, you kind of raised my business awareness in general at that moment. And I was like, yeah, what am I doing? And I was just imagining a scenario of, oh, you put the gear together, you put it in a studio and people should call you because you're a studio. And you, you really kind of awakened my mind in that regard. And it made me kind of get up off my ass and start to think more in that direction. And you've always been an inspiration from that perspective. And so it leads me, this is ultimately leading to a question. You have a bachelor's degree in quantitative business analysis. Yeah. From Penn State. And you have a master's in music yeah. technology from NYU. What the hell is quantitative <laughs> business analysis? That's a great question. I was going to be an architect. My my dad had, had a job where he worked with a lot of contractors and building printing press facilities for the New York Times. And he was cool enough to get me a summer job uh, two years in a row on construction sites. I got to see the symphony of contractors and the symphony of human work involved in building a a building. And it was just fascinating to me. I thought I was going to be an architect. So I applied and went, got into Penn State uh, for architecture. And it turned out I was just no damn good at it. Uh, In in the first four months, uh, the dean set me aside. He says, you know, Matt, this is is a parable I share with all all of my students, particularly those who maybe find themselves in that position. We're like, yeah, it's not going so well. Well, you know, um, and I, I always say, well, you know, Matt, uh, the A architects go to work at the big firms and they build the big buildings and they work and they have huge jobs and all their work lasts a lifetime. The B architects get married, have a family, they have a small practice in a small town. They'll do your kitchen remodel and they'll maybe build a home or a couple of homes in a development and they have a nice, perfectly comfortable life. The C architects rethink everything and they don't do anything the right way. They are constantly reinventing and constantly battling the status quo. And they're the ones who come up with real creative genius. And I looked at him and said, that's fantastic. Which one am I? And he said, you're a D student. <laughs> what, do, <laughs> what do the D students do? Because they switch out of my program. <laughs> Matt, meet failure number one. So I did. And uh, I was taking a statistics class and I, I crushed it. I got like 115 on it or something. So it turned out I was pretty good at math. I'd always been good at math. And so the, the stat class led me to this program called QBA, and the whole premise is to use high-end mathematical, mathematical, statistical data, data analysis, sampling um, to inspect business processes. So it was kind of half statistics and half logistics in an applied business setting. We were doing um, stochastic models and chi-square distribution models and all kinds of crazy statistics stuff that, frankly, I don't even barely remember. Uh, and I was good at it, but it was not a, a passion. And uh, in the back of my head, you know, doing music, being in music, being around music was always a driving force. And so, yeah, um, I guess you could say that for four years, I fed the left side of my brain. And then at NYU in the uh, music tech program, I fed the right side of my brain. And um, balancing the two, balancing, you know, the sort of the creative and the analytical, uh, that's that's a key ingredient in the entire Pyramind educational process. It's the fact that, hmm. you know, you can't just build the, the studio and they're going to come. 
you you need marketing you need uh an outreach you need an approach to uh, let people know that you're even there and why would they hire you over the guy down the street and that's from an artist's perspective that writing really amazing music and producing really incredible sounds is meaningless if all you're going to do is post it to SoundCloud and private links and share it with your friends that even if you make it public links on SoundCloud that's that's not even close to enough there are three mm -hmm. components. You need the creative side. You need the uh, technical organizational side. But then you also need this business side. And not everybody has the capacity to do all three, which is why people hire mixers or they hire agents or managers, people to help with one of the three engines. But at the end of the day, you need all three. And in 2002, when we moved out of the one building and into the other, uh, we redesigned the entire program, made it much longer, much bigger, and we drove towards each of those three engines. And honestly, it's one of it's the one thing that makes us different from a lot of other schools. Uh, you know, I know a lot of your your other guests had gone to schools, say um, SAE or NYU Tisch School or Full Sail or the Recording Academy or Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences, all all great places. But the key difference between any and all of those particular schools and us is that they take a very audio-centric technical approach. And I think that that's a, that's a beautiful discipline. And frankly, that's how I came up at NYU. NYU was very much like that as well. What we do is we, we add to that. Um, audio is a very strong component of what we do, but we add to that, as you mentioned earlier. Music theory, piano, composition, orchestral writing, synthesis, sound design, sampling, working in logic, working in game audio, doing light game audio programming, working with live players uh, and also composing in and of your own. Uh, so it's a, it's a broader spectrum of disciplines that we try to cover and in only one year. So you can imagine it's a, it's quite a lot for, for a student, particularly at the, at the third level. Um, it's almost all project-based. So they could be working on like up to 10 different projects at any one time. And I think that's, that's a pretty good reflection of the way you're probably going to have to approach it. No matter what school you go to, when you come out, you start whatever you're going to start, you're going to get bombarded with multiple demands on your time, multiple competing and conflicting deadlines. And how do you prioritize five projects that are all coming from five bosses, all of whom are demanding your time? Um, and so going through the Pyramid process uh, sort of gives you a first burn of that. Um, I have to do this 5-1 mix for Steve and it's due on Tuesday. But shit, Matt has this composition thing. I got to turn in on Monday. Well, I guess I better do Matt's thing first. And then Monday night, I'll burn all night and get the other thing ready for Steve on Tuesday. Uh, just that whole mental process of organizing your work. Yeah. It's its not necessarily stated. It's not curricular. It's But it's practical. And it's that underneath learning by doing that you can only get in a place where you're doing. But again, I think the the unique distinction of us versus some some of these other schools is um, our focus is 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 quite broad. I would definitely say that other schools perhaps do mm -hmm. the discipline of audio deeper and better than we do. But, but that's because that's not our only discipline. We have several others at the same time. Jumping to a slightly different topic, uh, I want to talk a little bit about work life balance. No such thing. You're a family man. And, <laughs> no, uh, no such thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a family man. How have you uh, made that work? It's funny because it's actually the exact same thing that I just mentioned. It's priorities and deadlines. You know, what's in front of you? Who demands your time? Who are, quote, the more important of those people who are demanding your time? And how do you how do you carve out enough time to serve your your customers, your clients, your family, and yourself? Well, the first thing I throw away is sleep. When I, when I run out of time, the first thing I throw away is sleep. And for those of you out there listening who are unmarried and without children, I will tell you that getting really good at burning in 30, 36, and 40-hour increments is a great way to train yourself for parenting for a newborn. Because as you know, newborns don't tend to sleep very much. And you might be up all night with the baby because your wife's been up with the baby for five days in a row and she's literally losing her hair. And she needs to sleep or she's going to stab you in the throat. So you're going to take over the baby duty. And so you're up all night with the baby. And then you got to get in the car and drive to work. And you got a full day of work in front of you. So you just, I guess for me, I, uh, you know, sleep is something that I, I consider a luxury. And I, and I throw it away at, uh, at first crack. But there are some things that you, you throw away. I try to uh, put my own personal needs uh, towards the background. And I, my priorities are always 
family first, business second, uh, customers uh, and business maybe tied for second. And then myself, uh, I might be, you know, number five or number six, you know, the dogs, the kids, the house, the taxes, the bills, the whatever. That all comes before my desire to sit on the couch and enjoy a, a movie or something. Or I stay up, you know, until four in the morning and get it done then when no one else is bothering me and I can't get anything else done anyway. <laughs> But yeah, balance is tough, you know, balance is, I mean, it, but it's tough if you're a lawyer, it's tough if you're a doctor, it's tough if you're a, a, an accountant in tax season. I mean, it, it's, everybody deals with it. You, you just have to. And we're humans. Yeah. We're, we're amazingly capable of overcoming obstacles when we set our minds to it. So you, you just, you just do. I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to bring this up because this is uh, a, an audiobook I've been listening to recently. I got uh, turned on to... Um, a guy named Matthew Walker, who's a, a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the uh, University of mm. California, Berkeley. And uh, he he's the founder and the director of uh, the Center for Human Sleep Science. He's He's got a couple books out on sleep, mm. and uh, I'm listening to one of them on Audible and um, really want to, based on what I've heard so far, <laughs> I want to stress that sleep is pretty, pretty important. So if there's a way that... <laughs> yeah. You can get more sleep, Matt. Yeah. As we age here, I think it's a it's it's critical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not I'm, just it's not just rejuvenation. It's there's a lot of chemical processes going on it when we sleep. Uh, I'm certainly not going to argue with a professor of neuroscience at the University of California, Berkeley. I can only tell you that my experience is uh I agree you can't go forever without sleep. But you also your your body and first of all, it's not even your body, it's just your brain mostly your brain at least, that requires sleep. It's really about consistency. You know, you can train mm -hmm. yourself to handle anything within reason if it's consistent. If you look at firefighters, firefighters work in oftentimes 36-hour and 24-off cycles. So they're on 36-hour shifts. I think uh, ER doctors maybe take the same role where, you know, you, you, you work for 36 hours and then you're off for 24 hours. And so they just get into this rhythm in this cycle where they know they're going to get their sleep in this time period. And they can condition themselves to be able to run for 36 hours uh, with high focus. And then after those 24 hours of downtime, they really go do their downtime. Um, I'm not some kind of strange Terminator machine that never sleeps and never stops and never eats. I mean, that's not me. I definitely get sleep, but I've conditioned myself to sleep anywhere from uh, four to six hours a night. And, and of course, coffee helps. Of course. Drink a, drink a yes. lot of coffee. And Yerba Mate. Yeah. I'll have to uh, put a link to uh, Matthew Walker's book because it's it's pretty interesting. And it does go into the effects of coffee uh, yeah. on the brain, which is pretty interesting. Jumping topics uh, <laughs> once again. You know, one of the topics that I always talk about with my guests is the topic of money management and gear lust as audio professionals. Now, yeah. you're in a slightly different position now, but just like your your take on how we obsess over buying certain tools in the audio mm -hmm. world versus uh, how we manage our money and our business. What, what are your general thoughts on that? Well, topic? I may not be the best person to ask about that because I'm a notoriously penny-pinching frugal SOB and my whole mentality is more about doing everything you can with what you have as opposed to solving a problem with gear. Even when I was at Cutting Edge and doing consulting and, and tech support work, my whole paradigm was always, why are you solving your problem with money? Why don't you solve your problem with process or people? Um, maybe there's just a cheaper, faster, better way to get this done without putting out another five grand and another mic pre that's super, super, super mega, mega, mega. Maybe it's a different product that will save your save you money, solve your problem, and actually solve a couple of problems at once. That's always my my mentality going into it. At the end of the day, though, uh, like I said, gear and technology and sales, it's all the same thing. It's it's solving a problem. Um, the gear lust side of things. I mean, I, I go through it. I see the synths in the magazines. I'm like, oh, I want one of those. And, you know, I see a new guitar. It's like, yeah, hey, I, I need one of those. But I don't need one of those. I know I don't need one of those. And um, I employ a, a certain amount of uh, hardcore fiscal, um, God, what's the word? I guess lockdown. I'm kind of always on fiscal lockdown. And unless I have a problem and a particular piece of gear solves a problem, then I go for it. And I, I, I'm not mm -hmm. so frugal 
that I won't buy something if it's going to work. I will absolutely buy something if it's going to work. It's going to solve my problem. And when I buy something, I buy something that's going to last a long effing time. Um, I hate buying something yeah. and then a year or two later, it's either obsolete or it doesn't have a new feature and it's not upgradable um, or the problem that it solved has uh, metastasized and now I need some other thing to solve this problem. That's the most frustrating part of this. And perhaps that frustration has driven me to this place where, you know, I won't just go buy something because it's sexy. Even if I've got a pocket full of money, that pocket full of money has to do more than just satisfy my gear list. Uh, I have 20 some odd employees that are all looking at me for a paycheck twice a month. I have employees that are looking at me to help fund their 401ks. I have employees looking at me. And I know I say me, of course, I mean my partner and I, I'm just pyramid, you know, looking at me, us, uh, and, and saying, you, you know, I need to pay my rent. And for me to say, hey, I just bought this, you know, original issue Moog because it was the coolest thing on the planet. Sorry, I can't fund your 401k this month. You know, that, that doesn't really fly. <sighs> And, you know, I guess going back to the balance thing and priorities and how do you make it all work, you know, like I said, it's family first, business and customer second, and, and me, I'm, I'm towards the bottom of the list. And if a, if a piece of gear solves a problem for me or for my staff or for my customers and it's just the right thing to do, yeah, you, you find the way and you go do it. It's hard running a school. It's hard running a studio. Um, we're in a very expensive part of the world in San Francisco. We're in a very very expensive part of San Francisco in and of itself, which is an expensive part of the world. And, you know, I don't have the luxury of being willy-nilly with dollars. So we make every penny work at every possible corner. And, and even if you find whomever your listeners are listening to this, if, if any of you find yourself in the position where you've got six zeros, seven zeros, eight zeros in your bank account, uh, no matter how rich you think you are, I can assure you it can go away in a heartbeat. And no matter how rich you are, thinking about the small dollars protects the big dollars. I think the finance guys, I say, um, you know, focus on the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And and I think that's really a, an interesting way of going about it where if your basic core finances are in order and your basic core systems and processes are in order, then there will be enough money somewhere, some when to go buy that thing that you need to buy. Um, it, it is a little different for me because mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't come at this saying, oh, I need some super fancy new compressor um, but I do oftentimes say I need some web widget add-on to tie my five clouds together in some kind of system. Uh, looking at something like Zapier, which is a, an online process and, and application tool that, that um, bounces data back and forth between disparate clouds. So it can take data out of Squarespace, pump it over to Stripe, take it out of Stripe and pump it into QuickBooks and take it out of QuickBooks and pump it into something else. Um, so we, we, we tend to spend money on infrastructure tools that help run the business in a smooth and comfortable way uh, so that I don't need to have 30 people on staff or 40 people on staff so that I have money left over to upgrade the computers for the students so that I can buy that new kick-ass software synth that everyone's using that my students are clamoring for that I can put on all the workstations. So, you know, it, it's for me, it's all practical. And, and maybe that's where the QBA kicks in is understanding the logistics and the process and the order of what's important, what solves what problem throughout the business operation and trying to really understand where the best use of the money is. And sadly, it's not in a 16-channel Neve sidecar, which I still don't own. Which <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like that, but it's not going to be economically No, not coming, not coming to me today. Um, that's for sure. How do you deal with disappointment and failure? How do you approach it? Oh, miserably. <laughs> I hate failing. Did you ever see the movie Moneyball? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic quote that Brad Pitt gives. He goes, I hate losing. I hate losing more and I love winning. And there's a difference. <laughs> and I really, I really identify with that. Failure sucks. It hurts. It, it's depressing. It's demoralizing. It's... Uh, it messes with your head. It messes with your confidence. It messes with your your whole process. It, and, and it distracts you from the actual nuts and bolts things that you have to do to get around the failure in the first place. So it becomes kind of a downward spiral of uh, self, self-defeating. You know, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is a self-defeating prophecy. I, I don't like it, but it happens. And yeah. 
It happens. And at the end of the day, you go through the seven stages of grief. You try to accelerate it if you can. And then you come out the other side, you pick yourself up, you brush yourself off and say, okay, well, what can I do today? What can I do today? What can I do right now to make things better? Yeah. It's exactly that thing that you said that I said to you at that, at that party one time. And that's, you know, I think that's what a lot of people do where you know, failure is a part of life. You can't win them all. Sometimes it's just your turn, you know? Sometimes yeah. it's just karma. It's just your turn, man. You got to you gotta take this one in the teeth. You don't really have time to, you know, wallow in your woe is me as much as you might want to and as much as you really feel as though you have to go through that. Sometimes you just got to get through it and it hurts and it's hard. And I don't know that there's any one solution. Um, thank God I'm married. Thank God I can confide in my wife when I, when I have dark days and she's there for me. I can confide in my partner when I have dark days. He's there for me and family and friends. And, you know, it's, it, it's the people who are going to lift you up when you don't think you can lift mm-hmm. yourself up. It's the people around you. Talk to so, me about uh, survival. Well, first of all, survival, we had a coach tell us one time, is be careful of survival because sur- surviving can be survivable. Um, and mm-hmm. I, think his, I think he was trying to drive us to the point where if all we were focused on was surviving, we would never be focused on growing or thriving. That's very good advice. But yes, at the core element of everything is survival and thrival. I don't know that thrival's a word. I just made it up, but now it's survival <laughs> and thrival. But they rhyme so well, so it's survival and thrival. Um, but, you know, good, en- good enough shouldn't be good enough is the end of the day. Good decisions. Yeah, moving out of Gilbert Street and onto 880 Folsom Street was a, was a good decision, uh, but it was a bit premature. We bit off a little bit more than we could chew at the time, and then we— kicked into survival mode and just drove everything as hard as we possibly could in the first few years to get things off the ground. Uh, But that was a really good move. Partnering with other manufacturers, uh, we were the fourth school in the world to offer Pro Tools certified training. Um, And the first two schools were founded by people who were ex-Digidesign employees. So uh, I feel like, you know, they got the head start, take them off the list, and then we were the second school in the world to ever open Pro Tools schools. Uh, Partnering with Avid, now Avid, then Digidesign, that was a a big, big win for us. Um, We partnered with Apple on Logic back in version 5.5. And... um, we got the Apple certification. Um, we're, we're no longer doing logic certification for a number of reasons, but um, back at the time, this is a fascinating story. So we got Apple certified to offer logic. And these things help add a, a level of legitimacy to Pyramid the school. We were new, we were fledgling, nobody knew what we were about. But when you say, oh, we're an Apple certified and digit design certified school, people kind of knew that that was you know, some sort of you know, stamp of approval from other manufacturers. But but we got the gig with Apple because I, I literally, I just picked up the damn phone and I called 1-800-MY-APPLE and I hit <laughs> zero for the operator. And someone picked up the phone. I said, hi, are you a person? Yeah. Who's in charge of the Apple Logic certification program? I said, I don't know. Let me put you on hold. Put me on hold. Come back. Oh, it's a guy named Mark. Great. I need to talk to Mark. Okay, please hold. Hold. Hi, this is Mark. <laughs> That's your moment, baby. That's your moment. It's the, like being in an elevator. The doors open up and then in walks your hero, right? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Are you going to sit right. there quiet and respect their privacy and respect their stardom? Or are you going to stand up and introduce yourself? You're going to fall on your face. You're going to make a joke. Like, it's a moment. You got to do it. And so I just, bang, I started talking and, and uh, introduced myself to the guy. And it turned out that he was the project manager lead on a small Apple tool called iTunes. So Mm. I had no idea I was speaking to someone in the sort of upper inner circles. He was just Mark. And so I was just Matt. And I told him about what we were doing. He goes, well, you know, I'm coming up to San Francisco tomorrow. How about I swing by and we grab some coffee? And then that was it. And it's a lesson I still teach to the students because, A, nothing ever happens with you sitting on your ass waiting for it to come to you. B, nothing happens because you were brave enough to email somebody. (laughs) <laughs> That's not bravery. Uh, C, reaching out to somebody cold call on LinkedIn, same thing. Facebook, same thing. Twitter, same thing. At the end of the day, people are people and people like being around other people. So be a person, get up and use the phone. And the phone is this incredible tool that still works and yeah. you can actually talk to people. Some people in very high places are so used to getting bombarded with the digital means of communication 
that they're actually taken by surprise with a phone call. And you can sometimes get right past the secretary on your first call just by calling. It's it's kind of fascinating. But yeah, that's that was pretty key earlier early on. Hiring smart is another really key ingredient to surviving. Bad hires, bad fits are uh, a never-ending cycle of downward entropy, and it will just kill your company. It will um, destroy your internal morale and your communication processes. And worse, you just don't get good work. You know, judging people and finding the right people to bring into your organization. Even if you're a one-man band, if you're just like one guy in one room in one studio and you're looking to pick up an intern, pick up the right intern because you'll do more for them and they'll do more for you and you'll both have a much better experience. You know, don't pick the person that maybe has the the best pedigree and don't pick the person that maybe you, you know, get along with the best over a beer. Uh, pick the person who understands you and your business and and uh, you think you can get the most best work out of. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. want to be friendly. You don't want to be friends. Um and, and that may sound weird, but when you're friends, you lose the sort of boss-employee relationship. Um, and I think that there's a certain amount of hierarchy and respect that that helps organizations move forward. I ask about habits and routines with people, and, and I've gotten a variety of answers. Some people, you know, smoke pot. Some people pray. Some people run. Some people uh, do kung yeah. fu. Yeah. What are the things that you do to keep you motivated and moving forward? Yeah, well, I do some of the things in that list that you just mentioned. Running is not one of them. I hate. Um, <laughs> I learned, in fact, I do kung fu and learn to fight so that I didn't have to run. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you really love what you do, you, there's a certain amount of natural motivation in there anyway. And I don't think any of us came to this industry, you know, for the stability or the, the financial reward. We came for the spiritual reward, and we came for the um, for just the love of music and the love of the art. You know, that love and that passion, as long as it's there you have a pretty strong base of motivation in the first place. Um, It's easy for me as a teacher because, you know, seeing the light bulbs go off in someone's head, I mean, that's just just such an amazing reward. I mean, you you know, teachers will tell you that seeing the growth of my students is such a great reward. The cynic in you wants to just go, but if you've done it before and you've taught someone and you've seen them change because of what you've done, it's powerful, so powerful. You, I know you've done it. I've seen you do it. I do it. We do it all, all the time. Anyone who teaches in any school who's passionate about what they do, um, all of us, we change lives. Someone was going to make decisions in their life about what they're going to do or want to do with their time, energy, and money based on something you did or said. You have incredible power in that environment. And man, that's a rush. It's it's just it's really hard not to be excited to get up and go teach. You know, Steve who works with us, he teaches like ten of our classes. He's crazy busy. Uh, and you know, Steve, how do you how do you stay motivated? He goes, man, at the end of the day, I just love it. <laughs> I just love working with students. Uh, and so that's an easy motivation. Uh, I look around, you know, my house and my wife and my kids, and I'm like, well, they're counting on me. I better get the fuck up and go to work. You know. Um, there, I look at my employees, yeah. they're counting on me. I look at my customers, my students, they're really counting on me. Um, they're putting their faith and their life and their career in my hands. That's uh, that's no small responsibility. And and all of these things come together. And it's easy to wake up in the morning on four or five hours sleep and say, you know, it's time to make the donuts. It's, it's, it's easy, <laughs> yeah. you know? Younger For our younger wallets. listeners, yeah, that's it. That's a. Uh, <laughs> I'll include a link to the to the Dunkin' Donuts right. commercial that we're referencing uh, yeah. there. It's time to make the donuts. You've had your hands in many aspects of audio, hmm. and you've seen it from many different perspectives. So, to the audio professional who's a freelancer, whether they do game sound or music or uh, mixing or whatever. Uh, as well as the studio owner, what are some of the the pieces of advice that you could put out there to those people listening now with regards right, well, to I'll, with regards to audio? So I'm, I, you know, that old phrase: "Are you a glass half full or a glass half empty?" kind of person. Um, mm-hmm. I'm neither. I, I say that the glass has equal amounts of air and water, and that's not terribly exciting. Doesn't make for a good catchphrase, but. What it means is that 
for me, I'm, I'm always looking at the good side and the bad side. If you only look at the good side and the promises, then you, you may not be prepared for some of those rough days or some of those failures that you mentioned earlier. And if you only look at the downside, then, you know, you'll never be motivated to do anything. And you got to look at both and, and decide what the best course of action is for you. And question number one at the, at the forefront of every day should be, is this what I should be doing? You just have to look at that question, and it's a very hard question um, because, you know, in very dark days, my answer sometimes has been, no, I should be in law school. Uh, on very bright days, I'm like, screw law school. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So it's going to go it's going to go in and out and back and forth all the time, every day. And I guess the only piece of advice is, is look at everything all the time, objectively, as much as you can. Gather as much information as you possibly can, no matter what's in front of you, and try to make the best decision. But when when you you have to make the decision, and when you make the decision, you have to live into it. And that's a phrase I use a lot. You know, live into the situation you're in. Live into the decision you make. You can't halfway it. You can't you know two step it. You can't half step it. Whatever decision you make, make sure the passion is there and make sure the fire is there, mm -hmm. uh, because. Particularly in this business, because you have to be creative, practical, fiscal, and uh, technical, and you have to do everything else that everybody else in the world also has to do. You know, we kind of have more on our plates because of the extra creative component. And that mm -hmm. goes for, you know, sculptors, dancers, painters, what have you. You approach a life in the arts. You have to do everything everybody else does, like pay rent and pay bills and be responsible and you know follow the rules. And you have to do all of the things that everyone else is already being asked. But you also have to do this entirely other discipline and be a master at it. Make sure that you you really want to, because it's more work than other people have to do. It's you are going to have to make sacrifices uh, in time, in focus, and money, in, uh, in in experiences. You're going to have to make sacrifices to to live this life. The best piece of advice is make sure it's what you want, uh, right? At the end of the day, if you don't have that, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, go be exactly. a lawyer, go be a dentist, go sell real estate, uh, go do something else, you know? Just say yes. I guess that's another piece of advice. Um, I've said yes to m way more things than I've said no to. Um, hmm. And if for no other reason than to have had the experience, um, a little joke, that's not really a joke, but a story my dad tells, he was he was interviewing a, a plumber on a job. And the plumber said, Marty, Marty, we got 20 years experience. You got to hire us. We got 20 years experience. And my dad stopped and looked at him and said, listen, Jimmy, I'm not hiring you. You don't have 20 years experience. You have one year of experience you repeated 20 times. And, you know, that stuck with me too. And that's kind of the purpose. Experience is one half of the, the subject called knowledge. Knowledge is experience and information coming together. Uh, knowledge is powerful. Knowledge is important. Information is everywhere and experience, uh, information without experience is kind of useless. So say yes, say yes to things you wouldn't think you'd want to, because you'll learn something from it. And that learning broadens you and deepens you and informs you. Like I will never write another book, uh, at least not another hard published book. I've written five at this point, uh, two on pro tools and three for Pyramind. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting process. I don't mind writing. I actually love writing. Um, and I wouldn't mind assembling a large body of work again. I just don't know that I would do a book again um, because I've already said yes. I've already done that. And what else can I do? What else can I say yes to? I've said yes to that already, you know. So make sure you have the passion to do it and say yes. You know, if you're a grumpy old cynic like me, saying yes is a very, very hard thing to do. But force yourself to do it because you'll only grow. You'll only get better as a person. Um, as a creative, as an artist, as a as a service person of service, you know, say yes. We could use more yes in in today's world. I think there's a there's enough no going on out there. Yeah, we are out of time. But uh, so for the listener, if they want to find out more about you and Pyramind, I would assume Pyramind.com. Pyramind.com. Cool. Well, Matt, it's been great having you on. It's it's great to see you. I I don't get to see you much because I don't go into San Francisco and you move to Davis and yeah. You know, yeah, it's, uh, we've got a Northern a California triangle between us. I'm in, I'm up here in Davis. You're out there in Lafayette and then over here in San Francisco. I Listen, know. Matt, Matt, thank you. Uh, personally, uh, you know, I, I count you among my, my very dear personal and professional friends. I, I have a, just an immense amount of respect for you, your brain, uh, love what you're doing now. Uh, you have unbelievable ears. I've learned more about audio from you than I learned in many years prior to working with you. I, 
Uh, we use some of your audio production techniques every day at Pyramind. Um, you know, you've had a very tremendous impact on me personally and uh, my students, whether you're aware of it or not. So um, thank you for thank you for having me on. Thanks for being my friend and uh, would love to hang out with you more often. Maybe we can have some beers next time. Ah, oh, let's do that. I like that. Let's let's have beers. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll follow up on the beer with you. That sounds great. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Matt Donner here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great to have Matt on. And you know, it's great to have good guests, of course, but it's even better when they're old friends. And that always makes it even more fun. So glad we had Matt on. And I hope you got a lot out of that. I certainly did. But we are out of time. So we got to thank everybody. We got to thank Cliff Truesdale and Chuck Smith and Cole Williams. And we got to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio, Focal Monitors, and Lawton Audio. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And you know the drill. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.